we're going to read once again in the Word of God. And it's interesting, we're taking up a passage in John chapter 10. So if I can invite all of you, if you have a copy of the Bible available to you, to turn with me to John chapter 10. And it's almost carrying on, in a sense, from where we had the reading in Matthew's Gospel. And Pastor Wakefield was explaining the context of that passage where there were those people, the religious leaders, who were rejecting what Jesus was doing and they were despising Jesus. And that's the kind of context that we read in John chapter 10 because he's just healed a man who was born blind and the religious leaders were criticizing and so on. So we're taking up the narrative in John chapter 10 and verse 1. And our Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father." Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There are, as most of you know, innumerable terms given to our Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture. And perhaps there is no description that is held with such 
affection as the one you find in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And many of you will also know that that imagery of the sheep is seen in Psalm 80. It's seen wonderfully in Psalm 23, which is known as the shepherd's psalm. Perhaps that's one of the first portions of scripture that many of us learned as children and we learned how to recite it and it becomes our simple creed and it becomes our certain comfort at certain times in life. Well, you'll also find that shepherd analogy found in Isaiah chapter 40 where we are told that he shall feed his flock, speaking of Christ, like a shepherd. The book of Ezekiel In that book, the Lord describes the relationship between himself and the people of Israel in terms of a shepherd and sheep relationship. And he says, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock. Now, I don't know whether you have ever thought of how many men in the Old Testament, men's God's great leaders were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. King Saul was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. Again and again in the Old Testament, you find God's leaders as shepherds. And then when you come into the New Testament, there are three occasions in the New Testament where our Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as a shepherd. And in each case, the word shepherd is preceded by a different adjective. So here in John chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus is called the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And the emphasis there is upon the voluntary and the vicarious death of the shepherd. And when I use that word vicarious, it means someone standing in the place of another. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus is called the great shepherd. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Now the emphasis on that passage in Hebrews is not upon his death, it's upon his resurrection. And then the third passage in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. And that verse is referring to our Lord's second coming to reward all those who have been under his under shepherds. So each of these passages is emphasizing the different focal points in our Lord's ministry. His death, his resurrection, and his coming again. But I want to focus on this passage in John 10, where our Lord is stressing one aspect of his own person and work. You, You know that John in this gospel tells us later on, that there is so much about Jesus that we would love to know, that the whole world wouldn't be able to fill the books if they were written. 
But in these words, in John 10, as distinct from the other two references in the New Testament, these words are not spoken by an apostle. They are spoken by Jesus himself. They're not spoken by some Old Testament prophet or some Old Testament priest or some Old Testament king. These words are being spoken to us by the one who is the prophet and the priest and the king to his people. And that's what makes it wonderful as far as we're concerned this morning. Here is Christ revealing to us what he is saying about himself. It's one of those times when Christ is self-conscious and they're not very often to be found in the Gospels. He's speaking about himself. So here is his self-consciousness and he's expressing himself in these words. Now you know as well as I do that there are people who can, you can meet in life and they're constantly talking about themselves and it becomes absolutely boring and intolerable. But that's not so with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know as much as we can about what he thought about himself. So here he is speaking about himself. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, Psalm 45? My heart is inditing a good matter. I speak of the things that I have discovered concerning the king. So who can speak with such accuracy about Christ as Christ himself? Many people can speak about him. Many people write about him. But here is Christ speaking about himself. So we're not left to conjecture. We're not left to our own, our own imagination. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ telling us clearly and beautifully in terms that we can understand, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, if you have your Bible open, you can see in verses 14 and 15 where he reiterates that statement and he expands upon it. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now most of you know that John has written his gospel around a number of great discourses in which the Lord describes himself in different ways. They're known as the I am sayings. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life and so on. These are the I am passages. But here you have our Lord describing himself in a different way. In those passages, very often, there is a mixing of ideas and there is a mixing of thoughts. So Jesus is described as the door. He's also described as the vine. And sometimes in his teaching, he uses images to convey truth. And sometimes he uses realities. And sometimes he mingles imagery with reality. So here in John 10:15 he says I lay down my life for the sheep. Now the sheep is imagery. It's a picture. But I lay down my life is fact. It is reality. So what I want to do is to look at both the imagery and the fact 
In that statement, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And in doing so, I'd like to try and grasp something of what it means, what our Lord is saying here, for you and for me, personally, individually, whoever you are, here this morning. So first of all, I want to look at the claims that Jesus makes. First of all, he says, I am a shepherd. So to try and describe the relationship he has with his people, and remember who it is that's speaking, it is none other than the eternal Son of God. And he is condescending to use this picture of a shepherd. And the imagery implies a number of things in Scripture. And you will know that it is a picture that is used extensively throughout the Bible where the Lord describes his relationship to his people as a shepherd-sheep relationship. And so here is Christ reaffirming that. He is saying that he stands in relationship to his people as a shepherd stands in relationship to the sheep of his flock. So what does he mean by using that term? He is speaking about his relationship with true believers. If you are a Christian, he is speaking about your relationship to him. And there are many things that the description conveys. But let me just mention one or two of them. And I found it intriguing when I was a pastor here that I met a number of people, not just from Florida, but from the United States, who had never actually seen a sheep in a field. I ministered for 13 years in sheep-rearing country, had a shepherd in my congregation. So that helps when you're thinking about this relationship of a shepherd with a sheep. What does it convey? Well, in the first place, it's conveying to us the matter of possession. The shepherd owns his sheep. Each and every one of them belongs to the shepherd. And if you were to go to some of the sheep fields in Scotland, you would see sheep and they would have marks upon them. Sometimes there is a spray of blue or red dye. Sometimes you will get a ram's horn that has a number imprinted in it. Sometimes there would be a brand mark or there might be a tag that's attached to the sheep's ear. But each one of them is identifying them with that particular shepherd. They are his precious possession. Now, did you notice how our Lord stresses that aspect of our relationship to him in this discourse? In verse 3, he speaks about his own sheep. In verse 4, he puts his own sheep. In verse 12, a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep. So he's contrasting himself to the hireling or the hired man. And he stresses that the hireling deserts the sheep in danger because they are not his own possession. They don't belong to him. And so they don't put any great value upon them. Now, you will know the difference between owning your own possession and making use of somebody else's. hope you won't mind me saying this, but Rob McDaniel was telling me a story yesterday in the car of when he and Mariella were out in Nevada or somewhere, I think, and they had hired a car to go somewhere. 
and found themselves in the midst of a cattle run, uh, run. cattle everywhere, cows coming up against the car. And he's saying, well, you know, this is a rental car. Well, Robbie would have had a, an even worse expression on your face of your own car. <laughs> it's one thing to do damage to a rental car, but if it's your own car, how much more serious it is. It's one thing to have sympathy for somebody else's child who is ill. But if that's your own child, that means a very big difference to you. If it is your own. And our Lord is stressing that you are his own. And he says in verse 16, other sheep I have. He already possesses them even before they have become Christians. Because they are his own, and because they are his own, he treasures them, and he sets a value upon every one of them. So he remembers where every individual sheep is. He knows where they were born. He knows everything that has happened to each one of them. He knows all their trials, all their struggles, and so on. And I have known from the shepherd that was in my own congregation... Douglas Macmillan, some of you maybe read his book on the 23rd Psalm, who was a shepherd. And these men, if they'd had a lamb that was orphaned and was brought into their home, they could recognize that lamb when it was a grown sheep years later. And they could look across the field and they can recognize sheep, sometimes by their defects and so on. But Christ is saying he knows every one of them. And you will also know that the Bible recognizes that the wealth of oriental shepherds is often seen in the number of sheep that he owns. And so they're described in scripture by how many sheep and cattle they own. Job, you remember, is a very good example. He's brought before us as a man with so many sheep, so many camels, so many ox, so many donkeys and so on. He mightn't have much of a house. He may not have very much land, but his possessions lie in his flocks. So if you were to ask a man how much he is worth, he'll tell you that he owns so many sheep. It's all a matter of ownership. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says in 1 Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have from God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So true believers are God's own possession. And that thought is all the more precious when you are thinking of people rather than things. And the Apostle John seems to have had that impressed upon him in a very profound way. Do you remember when our Lord was on the way to Jerusalem and the disciples had been arguing over pride of place, who was going to sit on his right hand, who would sit on his left in the kingdom? And you then recall how John describes that astonishing situation in the upper room of the foot washing. And then there is this long discourse in the upper room. And the lasting impression in John's mind, he gives us in John chapter 13 and verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them or he showed them the extent of his love. He loved them to the uttermost. And how did he demonstrate that love? 
Well, we are told that when nobody else would take the basin and the towel, he stood up, took the basin and the towel, and he washed their feet. And John says he was demonstrating his love for them to the uttermost, saying, I'll not only wash your feet, but I will die for you. Now, why was he doing that? Because they were his own. He is showing his love for his own. And if you're a Christian, you belong to that group. You are his own. And he's loved you from the first of time, and he will love you till the last of time. And let me say this to you. If you're a Christian, there are many things that you might be able to change in this life. But you cannot change this. No matter what you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you have become, you cannot change the love that Jesus Christ has for his own. Do what you like, be what you will. Fail and fail a thousand times over, you will never change Christ's love for you. He loved his own because they are his valued possession. And who were they? These were the men who had fallen asleep in the garden. Everyone would forsake him and desert him. But they were his own. He would have been able to call the archangel Gabriel and point to these men and say, do you see these men? They are my own. They are mine. Given to him by his father and belonging to him, his precious possession. And if you were to be able to ask our Lord Jesus Christ, what is his wealth and what is his heritage? The Bible gives you the answer. The riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints, his people. If you were to ask him where his treasure is, he would tell you the Lord's portion is his people. And he regards the church of Christ so much his own that it's described in scripture as his own body. It's described as his own bride. And Paul writes to the Ephesians and he speaks about the the gift of the Holy Spirit being the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And you all know that that word redemption means deliverance by means of a payment of a ransom price. And in the Christian sense it means redemption by the payment of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that Christians are Christ's purchased possession. And no greater price could be made. And here he has paid the, va- the price. And now we are valuable to him. And that's what it means to be redeemed. It is to be owned by Christ. Fully, totally, body, soul and spirit. Just as a sheep belongs to a shepherd, just as a foot belongs to a body, just as a, a bride belongs to a husband, you can look at the humblest, weakest believer, and he is Christ's own possession. 
and he looks at the church collectively in a locality or universally in this world and he says, you are my precious possession. So that's what Christ is teaching in, teaching us in these verses. So having spoken about possession, you will notice that he goes on to speak about protection. And you find that in verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And then verse 13, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He's saying, I am the good shepherd and I care for the sheep. I remember the sheep by day and by night. And of course, that's what you do if you really love somebody. If you're really in love with somebody, you constantly think about them. Your thoughts are of that person. Because you are in love. And here our Lord describes himself as a shepherd who loves his sheep. And who will care for his sheep. And you remember, I think I expanded this for a number of weeks here, in Psalm 23, where David speaks about the Lord being his shepherd... But the whole psalm is about the shepherd who cares for his sheep. And you remember that the opening statement, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that verse is expounded throughout the rest of the 23rd psalm. So that when you go to verse 2, I shall not want rest. Why? Because he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Then you come to verse 3, I shall not want restoration if I stray, and I shall not want guidance, because he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Verse 4, I shall not want for courage, or for fellowship, or for comfort, because though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, I shall not want for provision or for healing. Why? Because you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. Verse 6, I shall not want satisfaction and blessing either in this life or in the world to come because my cup runs over and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now remember that our Lord Jesus Christ knew that psalm intimately. He knew David who wrote that psalm. It was the Lord Jesus who caused that psalm to be written in scripture so that the Jews and later on the Christian world would be aware of that psalm. So when he is expressing himself and saying that I am the good shepherd, he's doing so deliberately. He's giving us this wonderful picture of himself in his relationship with his people, caring for them, watching over them, remembering them by day and by night. Now look at what it says in John 10 and verse 12 and verse 13. A hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. It's almost as if our Lord has the passage in Ezekiel 34 in his mind when he's saying that. Because that chapter in Ezekiel demonstrates how those men in the Old Testament who were the leaders of God's people and who were supposed to be good shepherds, they had failed and failed miserably. 
And you see that in verse 8. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. They never communicated to the people of Israel how good God was and how God cared for them. But he is the good shepherd who does care for his people and his heart is bleeding for the needs of his own people. So he tells them in Ezekiel 34 and verse 23 that he will set one shepherd over his people who shall feed them and who shall be their shepherd. Now that's what he's saying here in this chapter. He is the fulfillment of that prophecy to become the good shepherd to his people. And he protects them from the wolf. And he guards them from a thousand dangers. And he supplies all of their wants. And he strengthens them when they are weak. And he carries them when they are feeble. Too feeble to walk. And he knows where they are. They know, he knows when they fail. He knows when they fall. He knows when they wander astray. And he is their wisdom. And he is their strength. And he is their all in all. And no creature seems to be more dependent upon a human being than a sheep. A sheep doesn't seem to find its true self unless it is under the supervision of a good shepherd. And sheep can be very, very defenseless creatures. If you live in sheep-rearing country, very often you can see a sheep flat on its back, especially if it's got a heavy coat of wool. Because it just cannot get up. Legs pointing upward. It's vulnerable. And they're helpless. And here Jesus is speaking about a sheep being in the midst of wolves. And if a sheep is in the midst of wolves, the wolf is not there to lick its face. It is to devour the sheep. So here is this apt picture Something that we can all understand, where at times we are like a timid sheep in the midst of ravening wolves, and we're helpless, and we're no match for the wolf. But Christ says, I am the good shepherd. Without me, you will have no life and no strength, and you will wander, and you're in danger of death. If you don't have Christ as your shepherd, you will wander off the path. And you'll come to ruin. So we are more dependent on Christ than a sheep is on a shepherd. So when our Lord is making this claim, he is saying, in effect, I am everything to you. I am everything to you as my people. So having spoken about possession and protection, he then speaks, you may notice that, about the perfection of the good shepherd. So you notice that he not only describes himself as a shepherd, but as the good shepherd. And again, it's a comparison. He's comparing himself in verse 10 to a thief. He's comparing himself in verse 12 to a hireling. He's comparing himself in verse 5 to a stranger. He is not like the thief who only steals the sheep in order to sell it, take it to a marketplace, or take it to the slaughterhouse. He's not like the hired man who doesn't care for the sheep. He simply does what he's paid to do and what he's commanded to do. 
And he's not like a stranger to his sheep because they know him and they recognize his voice. So that word good in the original sense means not only good in the sense of being morally good, but also being winsome and being attractive, being the only one of its kind. When he says, I am the good shepherd, there is not one defect in his person. Earthly shepherds, no matter how dedicated they are, no matter how devoted they are to the flock, they are still men with human imperfections. Listen to Spurgeon. There is more in Jesus the good shepherd than you can pack away in a shepherd. He is the good, the great, the chief shepherd, but he is much more. Emblems to set him forth may be multiplied as the drops of the evening, but the whole multitude will fail to reflect all his brightness. He is inconceivably above our conceptions. He is unutterably above our utterances. He is the good shepherd. No imperfection. Every one of his attributes is perfect. Perfect in love, perfect in power, perfect in wisdom perfect in his holiness, and so on. But he's the good shepherd, not only because of the perfection of his being and his attributes and everything else, it's because he never forgets his flock. And he never neglects his flock. He never loses his flock. Every one of them belongs to him, and the needs of every one of them is met by him. So no earthly shepherd ever gave himself to his sheep as much as Christ gives himself to believers. He gives everything for them. All of his offices as prophet, priest, and king are there for you if you're a child of God. There is a goodness about him. There is a willingness about him. There is unfailing energy in him that makes him the best possible shepherd that you could ever have over your life. He is the perfect shepherd. Others have been good. Jacob was a good, he was a brilliant shepherd. David was a good shepherd. Amos was a good shepherd. But he is preeminently good beyond all others who are good, fairer than all the sons of men. And so he says with great sincerity and with great authority and with great assurance I am the good shepherd. And it's almost because he says it a number of times, it's almost as if he's proud of saying it. We read it in verse 11, verse 4. You don't hear of him speaking as forcibly of this when he describes himself elsewhere. I am the son of God. I am the son of man. I am the redeemer. But he does say, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. It's almost as if he's relishing the thought of what he is saying. And you'll notice the emphasis on the personal pronoun. I, I am the good shepherd. He's pleased and he's proud to be the good shepherd. And he's equally pleased and proud to have us as his sheep. Just as we are pleased to have him as our shepherd. And many of us at my age anyway, we can say he's been a good shepherd to me. And I bless the day that he ever saved me. And he's kept me all of these years up until now. And then we look forward to the day when the chief shepherd shall appear. And we shall be like him. So having looked at the claim that he makes, let me look more briefly 
that the supreme evidence or the supreme proof of his claim, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And did you notice it's repeated a number of times, verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18, in different ways. This is the most outstanding characteristic of this good shepherd. Ordinary shepherds may well risk their lives in defending sheep. And I know of shepherds who have lost their lives where a sheep has gone over a cliff edge and is stuck on the cliff edge. And the shepherd eventually goes down and tries to rescue the sheep and the sheep begins to struggle and the shepherd goes over the edge. And there have been shepherds who have been killed like that, trying to rescue the sheep. They didn't intend for that to happen. But Jesus says, I give my life for the sheep. I voluntarily lay down my life for the sheep. And he's fulfilling the words of Zechariah, the prophet. Arise, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow. Smite the shepherd. And here is Christ speaking about himself, demonstrating his love for his own, and he is saying that he will die in their place. He will die instead of you. So here is the great contrast between him and other shepherds. Their death will mean either loss to the death of the flock or loss of the shepherd himself. His death secures the life of the sheep. And in verse 11, the words his life literally means pour out his soul. It's the same word that you find in Isaiah 53 and verse 12. He has poured out his soul unto death. Here is the heart of the gospel, that Christ's death was voluntary. He does it of his own free will, his own grace, his own mercy. He lays down his life for his own. And when he spoke these words, that had not been done. But when we read them this morning, it has been done. And he is saying to us, I have laid down my life in order to secure you as my sheep. And I have done so willingly. I have done so vicariously in place of you. I've stood in your place on your behalf in order that I might bear the wrath of God that your sin deserved. And I have suffered in your room and in your stead. Listen again. Let me crave your indulgence and listen to Spurgeon. He had the gift of saying things so well. On that dread night, you know it, the night to be remembered, for it was the night of God's Passover. The shepherd went round his flock and the sheep were sleeping. But there came the wolf and the shepherd knew his snarl. The sheep all startled at the howling and were scattered. They forsook the shepherd and fled. That night he had enough to do to meet the wolf, and he stood at the fold to watch the sheep and let them all go in safety. And then he confronted the grim monster who leapt into the fold, a thirst for the blood of the sheep. But the shepherd caught him on his breast, and then came a desperate struggle between the two. The shepherd did bleed and sweat, did bleed and sweat and bleed again. 
Great drops of blood fell to the ground, but he held the monster fast and firm. Our great shepherd was wounded in his head, in his shoulders, in his hand, in his feet, and one awful fang tore open his side, but he held the wolf, held him until he had slain him. Then dashing down his body to the ground and putting his foot upon him, he shouted, it is finished. But in the same moment, the great shepherd fell. In slaying our foe, he had himself been slain. But scarcely had the shepherd touched the earth, than as if reanimated, up he sprang again and said, I lay down my life that I might take it again. Therefore does my father love me, because I lay down my life for the sheep. And then Spurgeon goes on to say, you know that story. You don't need that I tell it to you at any length. But oh, love him, love him. Kiss the wounds, worship this blessed shepherd who has conquered your foe and delivered you from the jaw of the lion and from the paw of the bear and set you safely forever in his fold. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Now think about that for the moment. You look around your fellow Christians, apart from looking at the non-Christians, Would you have chosen to be friends with some of them if you were not a Christian? People who were ugly in their life, people who had terrible manners, terrible attitudes, people people who were coarse, would you have loved them? No, but he did. He loved the likes of you and me and laid down his life that you might become his own. And he's changed you. And he's sanctified you. And he's given you something that you can show love to these people and say, that person who I would never have had as my friend is now my friend. Not many people would have wanted me before I was converted, I can tell you. But Christ wanted me. And he's loved me. Now, Let me just close by saying this. Jesus said, I love them. And my sheep know me. They know my voice. And you may be here this morning and you're wondering whether I am a Christian or not. Does Christ know your voice? Do you speak to him? Do you commune with him? Do you know his voice? Do you read his word and God speaks to you through the word? There are some of you here, and perhaps you were here when I was a pastor here, and you are still not converted. And there are some of you young people and children, and you are not converted. And at the last day, when God says to you, did you never hear about my son? Did nobody ever tell you that Christ died to save sinners like you? You will not be able to point a finger to these pastors in this church and say they never told me. You have heard the gospel. You have heard that Jesus said, I am the door. Come to me. There are many things that you can do with the door. You can look at the door. You can be intrigued by a door. I used to have a picture in my study of the doors of some of these antebellum homes in in, in Charleston. 
beautiful doors. You can admire them. They're attractive. You can sit down on the doorstep. But the whole point of the door is that you go through it. And you can admire the gospel. You can admire the church. You can be intrigued by it and interested in it. But have you come to Christ? This might be the last sermon I ever preach. But it may be the last sermon that you will ever hear. So let me ask you, with Judgment Day honesty, does he know you? And do you know him? That's the most important thing in this world. Because when you come to that point that so many people come to, when you are curled up in bed and the doctor has said to your relations or to your family, there's not much time. And when you curl up in the fetal position, as many people do, and you turn your head to the wall and you want all the world to be shut out, what are you going to do? What is it that you need at that moment? If somebody came into that hospital room and said, here's a check for a million dollars, it would mean nothing. Your business will mean nothing to you in that moment. Your wife and your family will mean nothing to you in that moment. Your business will mean nothing to you in that moment. The thing you need in that moment before you go to the wall and breathe your last is Christ. It's Christ. I plead with you to come to Christ before ever it is too late. Well, may God bless his word to us. Let us bow together in prayer. Almighty God, we bow before you. A God who is glorious in holiness and fearful in praises. And a God who does wonders and yet a God of grace and of mercy and of love and of kindness. That you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. And that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. And there are many of us this morning and we rejoice to be able to say, the Son of God loved me and he gave himself for me. Oh, may that be the testimony of everyone, even this day. For those who are still outside of Christ, give them grace to repent. Give them faith to believe. And for those of us who truly belong to you, help us to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We ask it in our Saviour's lovely name. Amen.